Turn with me, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 14. Due to the overwhelming response last Wednesday night during our love and respect session, I felt it would be good to let you keep digesting what you're reading for a little bit. So we're, got, we're not going to love and respect tonight. I feel I've got a word from the Lord that I want to preach. But keep reading the book. Keep making notes. Keep improving. And Lord willing, the last Wednesday night of the month, we'll wrap up love and respect. And by then, maybe you will have figured out things that you're doing wrong and things that you're doing right. Amen. Thank you for your overwhelming participation in reading that book. Some of you are just so enthused. And your wives are enthused, men, that you're you're reading this, but it's going to help us. Amen. Exodus 14. Let me say this. I want to thank all of those, and Brother Black wants to thank all of those who helped with the fish dinners last Thursday. They sold 233 fish dinners, and I, I want to thank you for all of your help. Give yourselves a hand. You know who you are if you helped. Amen. Amen. Exodus 14, beginning with verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They were so afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. I want to preach tonight from this subject, what to do when you don't know what to do. What to do when you don't know what to do. Could you lift your hands and let's ask the help of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say unto the church. God, your word is anointed, but we as human beings, we desire and we need that anointing more than ever before. Touch these lips of clay that they may proclaim the truth of your word. Have your way in this service and we'll be quick to give you praise and honor. Shall we clap our hands unto the Lord and give God praise? Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated. What to do when you don't know what to do. To say that the human mind is astounding would be the epitome of an extreme understatement. The complexity of the human body alone has left many standing in amazement. 
yet alone trying to discover and discern the intricate details of the brain or the mind has seemed inexhaustible and unachievable. It was the human mind that introduced us to a technological age that was once considered to be impossible. It was the human mind that sent men to the moon and robots to Mars. It was the human mind that led to the construction of skyscrapers, monuments, and other feats of man's hands that still stand today as a testimony of human ingenuity. It prompts us to think deeper, work harder, and reach farther. It has often been referred to as the central control system. That is because it controls our body. But hear me, the key word is control. Because as human beings, we are wired to always want to be in control. We want to be in situations that are subject to what we can handle, what we can process, what we can manipulate, or what we can control. It was the control factor that prompted a group of people to build a tower that would reach into the heavens. These individuals, I'm sure, heard countless stories regarding the flood. The flood was a situation that they had no control over. Therefore, they devised a plan, something that they could manipulate, something that they could produce with their own hands and their own ingenuity. They did not like the fact that they could not be in control. Genesis 11 and 4 said, And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They had one mind. They had one purpose. We're going to do this thing. We want to control this. It reflects nothing greater than the human mind than this setting right here. It even baffled God. For the Bible says, and the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Thus God confounded their languages to thwart their efforts. It was God showing them that although there is so much the mind can comprehend and do, there are some situations that you will have no control over. Even though we don't like it, the fact remains that there are some things even the smartest of people cannot figure out. This goes against our nature because we like to fix, we like to understand, we like to dissect and prepare, we like to answer, and we like to explain. But hear this preacher tonight, the reality is this. There are times in our life, seasons and situations that we go through when we don't know what to do. You keep living long enough. You'll wake up one day and you'll say, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. 
else to do. God, I've tried everything I could think of, and it's not getting any better. It's only getting worse. Moments when we have zero control over what's taking place, and we ask ourselves, what do we do? None fit this description of life better than Moses and the children of Israel. They lived a life of captivity for 400 years. Although they were captive, they were in control. What do you mean by that, preacher? They were slaves. You're right. They had masters over them. But the control factor was this. They knew they were going to have food. They knew they were going to have beds. And they became comfortable in their captivity. They became comfortable in a place that was less than what God wanted for them. But they knew what to expect. You see, there are some people that are living beneath what God wants for them, but they know what that life is like. They know that I've got this amount of money. I've got this going on in my life. And and we don't like, it's not that we're afraid of change as much as we're afraid of the unknown. But when God tries to shift you from one realm of life to another realm of life, the first thing that's got to go is control. God had a land prepared for them, a promised destination a place free of taskmasters and pharaohs. And this dimension would not be without a struggle. For when God gets ready to take you to a new dimension, when God gets ready to move you, it's not always easy or comfortable. Hear this preacher tonight. When things are going wrong in your life, it might be a sign that things are going right in your life. Because God's trying to move you from faith to to faith, for the Bible says therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It's in that stirring time where people want to give up. It's in that stirring time when you lose control. Y'all want to make me preach tonight. It's It's when things are going crazy in your life that the enemy would love to tell you that you need to give up. But you hear this preacher tonight. Now's not the time to give up. Now's the time to hold on like you've never held before because God's going to make a way when there is no way. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Here they are. Israel was excited about what God was doing. We're leaving bondage. Now you're talking about a group of people that grew up in bondage 400 years. And they're all excited. God's going to move us into a new dimension. God's bringing us to a promised land until they hit opposition in the form of the Red Sea. Because every time you've got to move from one level to the next, it's not just going to be the red carpet. It's not going to be without opposition. You can talk all day about faith. Don't tell me how much faith you have. Tell me stories of what what your faith brought you through. 
You want to talk about faith? You can quote scripture all day. That doesn't tell me how much faith you have. Start telling me stories of when there was no way and you held on to something in God, man. You want to talk about Hebrews chapter 11? That's stories about people that didn't even have the Holy Ghost. But they made God made a way when there was no way. Yeah, we can quote scripture all day long, but just because you can quote it doesn't mean you can live it. You want to talk about living it, let's start talking about when there was no money in the bank and God made a way. When there was no grocery, I can tell you about when there was no groceries and groceries showed up on my floor. I can tell you when sickness came into my body, but God healed my body. Here they are, the enemy behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. And it was then they began to question God. Hear me. They wanted God's will, but they didn't like his ways. When you pray for the will of God, you have to also be willing to accept the ways of God. And here's the kicker. You'll never understand or figure out his ways. When you pray for his will, you have to accept his way. They wanted the comfort of what they were leaving along with the promise of where God was taking them. They wanted the best of both worlds. But Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forth and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Honey, you can't live in yesterday and tomorrow at the same time. You gotta be willing to say, God, I'm glad for what you did yesterday, but I believe you're bringing me somewhere greater than I've ever been. Here's what they did. Verse 12, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. If God was going to bring them into a new realm, he first had to put them in situations where they were totally dependent upon him. You keep living for the Lord, and that's going to happen. God's going to put you in situations where you are totally dependent upon the hand of God. God has to bring you to a place where you have no control. Think about Peter. Jesus said, Peter, Satan hath desired to sift thee as wheat. But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And what Peter say? I'll never deny thee, Lord. I'll never turn my back on thee. I'm your biggest fan. I'm here with you all the way. That was Peter's control speaking out. I can control it all, God. But you just let life keep unwinding. And you're going to hear that rooster crow. And then you're going to read where Peter, Peter ran off and wept bitter tears. Because life has a way of bringing you to a place where you're not in control anymore. When you don't know what to do. But Peter, I cannot let you preach at Pentecost. 
Pentecost until I let life bring you into a place where you're not in control. But Peter, what you will be afterwards is better than what you were before. You just got to trust my ways, Peter. You got to trust my ways. So here they are, upset, scared, despondent, fearful, out of control. It was then that God sent a word through Moses. Moses, I'm going to tell you what to do when you don't know what to do. So Moses speaks up. This is what he says. Fear ye not. Step number one, what to do when you don't know what to do? Get rid of fear. Fear is common amongst everyone. I read a little story about two explorers. They were on a jungle safari when suddenly a ferocious lion jumped in front of them. Keep calm, the first, whisper, the first explorer whispered. Remember what we read in that book on wild animals? If you stand perfectly still and look the lion in the eye, he will turn and run. Sure, replied his companion. You read the book, and I read the book, but did the lion read the book? I've been in those situations, staring the lion in the eye, and you're paralyzed. You can't see beyond your present problems. Isn't it amazing how you can encourage everybody else when they're in the midst of their problem? And when you get in the middle of yours, all them words go out the window. The difference between a major problem and a minor problem is a minor problem is yours and a major problem is mine. And we can tell everybody else, God's in control. God's going to take care of it. But when you're in the middle of it, and it seems like life is unraveling faster than you could put it back together. You got to remember the first step of what to do when you don't know what to do is fear ye not. Because God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. My friend, fear is not of the Holy Ghost. Fear is of the devil. And when you feel fear creeping in, you got to begin to speak the word. I rebuke the spirit of fear. I rebuke the spirit of fear. God is a very present help in the time of trouble. Fear and faith cannot coexist. Faith is believing that God is in charge. And fear is believing that the enemy is in charge. And no man can serve two masters. So as long as fear is what's raising, rising up, faith is way down here. you got to get rid of fear. Before any miracle could take place, Moses had to address the fear that was gripping them. See, we're fearful of what we don't understand. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. But in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Listen to me. You don't have to trust what you understand. You have to trust what you don't understand. If you understood it, it wouldn't require faith or trust. 
But when you lean not unto your own understanding, then you step into a dimension called trust. Trust is a greater dimension than faith. The story goes of the man who was going to ride a unicycle across two skyscrapers on, on a tightrope. And, and I'm sorry, he was going to push a wheelbarrow. And there's a little boy right there. And he said, do you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow all the way across? He said, oh, yeah, I can believe it. You're the best tightrope walker there is. He said, you got faith in me? Oh, yes, sir. I've seen you do this kind of stuff before. He said, do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you. He said, get in the wheelbarrow. Faith believes he can. Trust believes he will. Trust is a greater dimension than faith. Faith is in the ability of God. Trust is in the willingness of God. And God wants us to operate not just in faith, but also in trust. God, I don't understand it, but I trust you. I can't figure it out, but I trust you. I know not every situation is an attack of the enemy. But even if it's a, it's a situation that God is using for a better purpose, the enemy pounces on our fear. And he tries to torment us and handicap us. But the Bible says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. It's time that we've got to stop worrying about how it's going to work out. Because it will never work out like you think it's going to work out. It's not going to happen is you just have to believe. David had to encourage himself in the Lord. Now, I know this may sound crazy, but that's all right. There's times I've gone to prayer, and I was so low, and there was nobody else around, and I literally just laid hands on myself, and I began to take dominion over the thoughts in my mind. It wouldn't hurt you when you're praying just to lay hands on yourself and say, in the name of Jesus, I bind what's coming against me. I bind what's coming against my, what are you doing? You're pushing back against the spirit of fear. Step number two, first one was fear ye not. Step number two, stand still. Moses instruct them, instructs them to stand still. Knowing the nature of humanity, I'm sure there were probably hundreds of people trying to figure out a way to cross the Red Sea. Now you're talking about millions of people. You've got you to put yourself in their shoes. If we had 200 people and we marched down there to the Washita River, knowing the nature of men, some of you men in here, you'd, be, you'd already have a way figured out how we can get across. That's just the nature of men. So here's Moses with millions of people. And they're not just in a single file. They're massive spread across. And you know they're trying to figure out how they can do it on their own. Especially when they see the Egyptian army coming up behind them. And so Moses had to tell them, stand still. In other words, stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to figure out how you can manufacture a miracle. Because if you do it, it's not a miracle. And we're guilty at times of trying to figure it out on our own and do it our way. Because we think this is what how it, ha how it has to happen. This is how it has to come about. 
Moses was not only addressing a physical posture, but a spiritual state. Stop trying to do it on your own. If you read the book of Job, when Job was going through all of his own problems, problems that he had no control over, in Job 37, 14, these were the words spoken to him. Hearken unto this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. What does that mean for me and you? It means this. When you're in that season of life, when it's not working out, it's not coming together like you thought it would come together, then you just need to stop and start thinking about all the wondrous things that God has done in your life. You need to think back of every time God healed your body. You need to think back of every time God made a way when there was no way. Why? Because that's going to increase your faith. And you're going to start to, to feel something lift in your spirit. And you're going to realize that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word of God says, I am the Lord, and I change not. My friend, if God did it for you once, you better believe he'll do it for you again. If God God healed you once, I know he'll heal you again. If God gave you a job once, I know he'll give you a job again. Somebody shout hallelujah. Ephesians 6, 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. In other words, and having done everything you can do to do it on your own. Stand, therefore. Just stand. Realize you're not standing in your own strength. The armor of God represents the supernatural work of God in your life. That's why the Bible says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. God will put you in situations that are simply a test. Here's what I hated about school. Other than every, everything other than lunch and PE. They would teach you and teach you and teach you. That teacher, now listen, that teacher knows what's on the test. They've already looked at the test. So they're giving you everything you need to pass the test because they know what's coming. So they're going to prepare you for that test. But when that test is laid on your, on your desk, the teacher can't talk no more. Remember, the teacher is always silent during the test. That's why Job said, I go forward. He's not there. I go backward. Can't find him. He hides himself on the right hand. And he puts me on the left hand where he doth work. The potter has to use two hands to have a finished product. He has to use the right hand of authority, but he has to balance it with the left hand of adversity because all things work together. The right hand and the left hand, when they're on the clay, all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. My friend, when you're on the left hand of God, that's when God does his greatest work. But the problem is, you think you're all alone because you can't hear the teacher talking. But you better make sure you understand that before God gave me the test, he gave me everything I needed to pass the test. God wouldn't let 
got something coming to your life without preparing you for it. You've got everything you need to pass the test. I can't tell you how many times I've went to prayer and I've wept and I've cried and I said, God, where are you? God, I needed you yesterday. God, I needed you last week. God, I needed you a month ago. The teacher's always silent when it's test time. God wouldn't let a test come your way without being prepared for it. Step number three, let God fight for you. When we put our faith in him and stand still, it's then that we're in a position to watch God do what only God can do. Every enemy that's fighting against you, every impossible situation, God's going to fight your battle. The Bible says, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. How can God arise? God can only step up when we first step down. As long as we're at the forefront trying to make it happen like we want it to happen, God's having to stay back there. But when God gets up, we step down. You've got to realize with this preacher tonight that God is working even when you can't see it. That God is doing something great in your life when it looks hopeless. When it looks impossible, I remember when I was, and I probably shared this year. I can't, I can't remember. A couple of, about a year before, I submitted my resume for this church. I was praying. I, 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 I mean, my world was just shaking, and I had a man come by and said, "I want to turn my church over to you." I said, "Okay." I said, "Let me pray about it." So I began to pray about it. Everything within me wanted to jump. But if you're not careful, you'll miss the will of God just because you're dissatisfied with what season you're in. You can't just jump to jump just because you're miserable. You've got to make sure when you move, it's the will of God. There's been jobs that I've passed on that could have paid me more money, but I wouldn't be standing here today because it wasn't the will of God. I began to pray. That, that pastor called me again the next week. Well, you come up with something yet? I said, no, sir. I said, I, I'm, just, I'm just really not feeling this is the will of God, but I don't have a clear word. I felt like I was just groping in the dark. God, where are you? God, I need it written on a wall. I need an answer. I was driving down the road. This lady called me a, a prayer warrior out of my home church who knew nothing. She said, Brother Tyler, the Lord told me to call and tell you that he can see just as well in the dark as he can in the light. And when the time's right, you'll know it. And instantly the peace of God came into my spirit because we think just because we can't see that God can't see. But God's eyes know when the sparrow falls. If God knows how many hairs are on your head, 
then how should we think that God doesn't know where we're going through on our job or in our finances or in our body? My friend, before you got to your problem, God was there. And when you come out of your problem, God's going to be there because God is going to fight for you. You just have to believe it. Stand with me right now. Nothing. Somebody say nothing is impossible. Nothing. Said to Joyce as you come. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You fear not. You stand still. And you see the salvation of the Lord. Stop trying to do it your way. Stop trying to make it happen. Do I have all the answers? Absolutely not. When you ask me to pray about something, I take it seriously and I pray about it. Sometimes the Lord gives me instruction. Sometimes all I'm doing is going to the Lord on your behalf in prayer. Praying for God to give you a clear direction. God to give you wisdom. God to open the right doors and shut the wrong doors. But you know what I can't do? I can't walk your walk. I can't run your race. And when you're in the midst of hell, and you feel like your world is being turned upside down. I've been there. I'm not preaching something that I read out of a book. I'm preaching something that God had to teach me when my world was going crazy. When I didn't have the answers and I'd have to walk to a pulpit and tell somebody that God could take care of it and I was questioning where God was in my own life. Telling you what I've lived. I've been through some things and I know you have too. I'm not saying one is greater than the other. I'm telling you that these are three things if we can grasp them. Get fear out of our mind. Stand still and stop trying to make it happen like you want it to happen. And let God put the pieces in place that need to be in place. When Joseph, Brother Brandon, was thrown into the pit, it was a situation he had no control of. He didn't do anything to deserve it. Sometimes God will allow a pit to come because that pit is going to serve a greater purpose years later. When Joseph told his brethren, you meant it for evil. Joseph, you couldn't see it when you were in the pit. Joseph, you didn't understand what God was doing when you were in the prison. But there came a day when you were able to look back and you realized God knew what he was doing. There's going to be a day you're going to look back and you're going to say, you know what, God? It's starting to make sense. I didn't understand it back then, but I understand it right now. I'm opening these altars. I would that you would come right now. Don't come begging, pleading, crying. I want you to come and lift your hands. And you're, When you lift your hands, you're saying, God, I'm surrendering right now all of my control. God, you know where I'm at. You know what I've been praying. You know what I've been facing. And I'm surrendering my control. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on all over this building. 